Welcome to Open-Minded Healing, where the topic is alternative health. We will be having conversations with the practitioners that offer a variety of alternative healing modalities, as well as everyday people who have recovered their health outside of the MD's office. Join us with an open mind for conversations that may provide solutions to healing your own body on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. I'm Marla Miller. Let's begin. My guest today, Julia Starchevsky, will be sharing her journey of healing from physical, emotional, sexual abuse, and complex PTSD. Julia is passionate about empowering women to ask for more and believes vulnerability through storytelling helps people get rid of guilt and shame that is not theirs to carry. Hi, Julia. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to talk to you, Marla. I'm so glad you're here joining us today. I know that the subject of abuse is a delicate topic. It can be very difficult for those who have been subjected to abuse to openly discuss their experiences. So I really appreciate your willingness to share your story today. So others listening might find some healing as well. Thanks, Marla. (laughs) I'd say I'm excited uh, to share with you. I don't know if excited is the right term, but I'm glad to be talking to you. (laughs) So I'm going to let you begin the conversation today in the manner that you would like maybe starting off with what complex PTSD is. Sure. I should preface by saying I am not a clinician. And while I do have a degree undergrad in psychology and I've studied the subject a lot to better understand myself and my family, you know, but from everything I understand, from what I've learned, gathered and spoken, you know, to my own therapist, the way I understand it, the big difference between PTSD and complex PTSD is really Complex PTSD is usually formed from multiple repeated traumas. It could be in childhood. It could be from domestic abuse, but it's usually not just one event. It's a series of events or something prolonged. So it's basically prolonged um, exposures. And there's different symptoms associated, which I think is also shared with PTSD, but there are feelings of helplessness, um, that you're permanently damaged, there's usually a fear or difficulty in forming long-term or just deep relationships because obviously that requires a lot of vulnerability and trust, which may be difficult for people to do when they've suffered through abuse or went through that. There's flashbacks or emotional flashbacks, which many, I know for myself, this was very new. I did not realize because you can for instance, you're having a fine day and something triggers you. Not in the way that social media use triggers, like you feel sad or Uh, angry at something. It's just, you may feel the same feelings you felt during abuse and you may not know it. Like you just all of a sudden feel helpless or just exhausted and just a a whirlwind of emotion, maybe just trapped in your body. So those are some symptoms and really the definition of complex PTSD as I understand it. And that's not at all to dismiss that, you know, PTSD or one is necessarily better or worse. It's just different. And from what I've been learning, it's could be a little trickier to treat complex because it's not just one event you can go back to. And again, I'm not at all diminishing or dismissing because uh, horrific pain is horrific pain. So there, there is no winning when it comes to having PTSD (laughs) or competition when it comes to that matter. But it's just, uh, I think it could be a little trickier to treat, but I am still in the thick of processing. I actually just started EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which I just started last week. So I can't say I'm past the PTSD part, but I'm definitely doing work to 
help alleviate possibly to get rid of it. That would be exciting. (laughs) Yeah, that would be wonderful. When this all started, I'm gathering that you were young. Yes. I'm happy to give kind of a high level view of my background. So there's, I guess, external and internal and trying to reconcile the two. So I immigrated from Russia with my family when we were, I was nine and my parents, when they came here, just like most immigrants, they, they had to do a lot of different types of work, like hotel cleaning and things like that. And then they learned English. My mom taught herself accounting and then computer programming. And my dad used to be a mechanical engineer, but he had to learn English and advance back into that. So they're, I guess you could say middle class. I mean, fairly successful, very intelligent people. If you met my dad at a social gathering, you would think he's funny, very charming. If you needed help with anything, he would be the first to volunteer. So very helpful in that sense. My mom, again, very intelligent, uh, well-dressed. I think everything came from Nordstrom. (laughs) Very stylish in that European sense and very artistic. So there's a lot of like my dad can sing, he can sculpt, my mom can draw, even though that's not what they did for a living. So if you met them, very worldly, charming, engaging people, that's the sense that you get. The unfortunate part is that inside the house, it was just utter chaos. It was like a Jerry Springer episode. And for those too young to know what that show was or not into trash TV, just very dramatic, very violent, very aggressive. I don't think there was ever a time I can consciously remember not being afraid of my mom uh, in the physical and verbal abuse sense. So I was always just scared of her. Even when she was being nice, there was always just this terror of you never know when she's going to explode. So that's kind of where... The PTSD comes from, there's also some sexual stuff that I can't fully speak about yet just because I'm processing. I think for a lot of people, you may not, especially when you're younger, remember, there's a lot of stuff you just repress. There could be years that just not even sexual, it could be physical when you're younger, it's just, you can disassociate. So there's a lot of stuff there that I'm still in the middle of. So I can't really speak to it well yet. When did you realize, because growing up as a child, sometimes it's all you know, you don't know how bad it is. When did you start to realize that something's really wrong here? Maybe it's a misuse of the word funny, but one of my degrees was in psychology, but it wasn't until I was around 24, 25, there was really my sister that pointed out that our mom is really the classic borderline personality. Like there's different variants, the the extreme explosive temper, the hot to cold within seconds. I think I was just so in it. And I was always the bad child, the unlovable child, because you're so, again, your friends, everybody else doesn't see it. And you're always kind of the bad one. So it's really, even though there's a part of me that knew, obviously this wasn't right. It's just, that's all, you know, that there, there is no alternative universe where it was any different. And it's not like somebody, I was actually thinking about this today. It's not like somebody comes up to you when, whether you're 18 or 20 or even 30 and sits you down is like, Hey, you've been through some stuff. Here's a handbook of all the stuff that you're going to deal with. Uh, and you need to kind of see somebody and process it. The fallout comes for me. It really shows up in relationships, relationships with men, intimate relationships, It's extremely difficult for me to go there and to be vulnerable. And I'm not even sure I've had a healthy relationship to this point. And that's something that I've wanted to work on. And it's extremely important to find the right therapist with the right background. 
and to agree on the definition of what is the end goal? Because several of my therapists have called a term I really dislike, but I get, I understand why they're saying it highly functional. So if that's all that your therapist, like you're able to go to work, you're able to succeed, you're made, you know, for a woman, I've made a pretty good salary in the tech world. So if you're charming and funny and you can make friends and I can certainly go on dates, uh, I can, I, you know, I've had relationships. I wouldn't call them successful uh, or healthy by any measure, but you know, to some people that could be seen as, well, you know, you're doing fine enough. And that was unfortunately the case with my first therapist where he was so used to treating people with agoraphobia that they could barely function. They couldn't hold down jobs to him. eh, You're young. You seem fine. You can have a conversation. You're going to work. You don't have any problems. And that's obviously not my definition of healthy or how I want to live my life. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's such an important point to talk about the therapist. I know different therapists have different outlooks, different tactics. I mean, they are humans and hopefully they have done their own work. I think that's also a key. Like if they have just gone by a textbook and they're operating from that standpoint, but they haven't done the work on themselves and they're dealing with their own, I don't know, possible issues from their childhood or something. And it's reflecting on their interaction with you. That's another possibility. So how did you go about finding that right therapist for you? Well, I'm on my fourth one. One of it also due to the fact that I've lived different places. So the first one was in Atlanta where I grew up. And then really, I didn't go back to therapy till I was 33. And I can, <laughs> so there was quite a gap. There was an eight year gap in that. And I can tell you that what brought me back at 33 is I share a fun story. So I was looking forward to my 33rd birthday. It something about the number three, I was just really excited. I was dating this guy and I can tell you, I knew on the first date I shouldn't date him. We met on a dating app. He lied saying he was 10 years younger than he was. He seemed totally disinterested. Long story short, I wound up hanging out with him because he played like 20 instruments. We wound up, uh, we wound up dating and he was like 19 years older than me. He was in a crazy amount of debt like tax debt. He was just a mess. He was just, there there was really very few positives in that, but I was dating him. And so we go to this birthday and he's meeting my friends for the first time and we're all drinking and, you know, there's buying shots. He can't really afford to buy me shots, but I'm like buying shots for the table. And then just me and him wind up going somewhere afterwards. And I can tell that he's just really distant, really cold. And I try to dig into why he's upset. And I didn't buy him enough drinks. Apparently there were some times where I bought my friends drinks and not him. So not only, yes. So there's this 20, you know, 20 year difference between us. I'm, you know, externally successful, have this job, supposedly funny and charming. as you know, many people can see me as, and I'm dating this guy that, and he walks out on me. He walks out on me my birthday because I didn't buy him enough drinks. And I was like, this cannot be my life. This just, this, you know, there's a dissociation between, you know, I'm a person that's traveled alone to different countries. I feel very independent in many ways. I feel strong. And yet I'm making these choices and he's not the first, like he's obviously serious. And I'm like, I just cannot keep doing this. Like I can't repeat this a thousand more times because it's emotionally killing me. Yeah. That's when I was like, okay, there's some stuff I need to work through because 
you know, I've done reading since then there's work, but there's only so much you can do to a degree. And that's why I love education. I educate myself. I like attend a trauma conference, but when you're a fish in water, it's really hard to see the water. And there are certain things you absolutely can do yourself. You need other tools. Right. Yeah. I think it was Oprah Winfrey that said once that in life, when something needs changing, you hear it in a whisper. And then if you don't pay attention, it gets louder and louder until it's like a yell. Um, That sounds like the case there with that date you had, but you realized you needed to change something. So that's great. Thank you. And I wish I could tell you that that was the last of the bad choices, but that's unfortunately, it's a journey. And then I can say that there's a lot that has healed in the time since I'm 39 now. I know a lot of women scared to admit that, but I'm like, yeah, 39. So there's a lot that I used to do a lot of, you know, overeating and we can go into that if you like, just really bad coping mechanisms, overspending. I think I could have bought easily like four golden doodles with how much I paid Bank of America and overdraft <laughs> weekly. Like I'm not even joking. I didn't have good coping mechanisms. So I was doing everything to just numb kind of the pain and just make it through my days. Right. So there's a lot that you can heal, even though you're not in a perfect place and not everything is resolved. And that's part of why I'm on and to share the story that you, first of all, you can teach old dog new tricks. I hate that saying. There's a lot of sayings I despise. My, I just taught my eight-year-old <laughs> dog a few months ago how to lay down in less than, I think it took less than 15 minutes. So you yourself, it doesn't matter if you're 30, if you're 50, like if you have really bad patterns, I fully believe you can change them. It just takes, unfortunately, in my experience, a tremendous amount of work. But to me, it's worth it because the outcome is you have vulnerability. You're able to connect with humans, not just dating, but all people on a much more deep and genuine level. And you just feel good about yourself. And that to me is priceless. It's just priceless. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that is the case with any big change. It comes in little steps, you know, instead of looking at this whole huge overall picture, I mean, that would be so overwhelming to think about all the work you have to do. But if it's one step at a time, like finding that right therapist or curbing one of those coping mechanisms and converting it to something positive, like each little tiny step is so commendable. So you talked about the different coping mechanisms used. So Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe we can get into that a little bit. You know, sometimes people just think maybe it's alcohol or drugs, like those are coping mechanisms. But what are some of the other ones that people might not really think of as a coping mechanism? Absolutely. Um, You can be addicted, I have found, to almost anything. (laughs) Uh, Social media is one. I think that the difference is there's varying degrees of how those addictions impact your life. Obviously, heroin is going to have much more detrimental effects on your health and your just ability to even function versus social media. You know, but they're both coping mechanisms. They both give you, well, I can't speak for sure for heroin, maybe it gives you serotonin, but I know that you get dopamine, you get those chemical releases that just, it's it's a stress reliever in a way. So coping mechanisms, and I can list my own. So uh, addiction to shopping, that constant buying something, getting that hit. Um, It's also a compulsive mechanism, like needing to scroll, scrolling of anything. You can be addicted to dating, that swiping, or all of a sudden getting somebody to message you and you feel that that instant rush of like excitement. Ooh, somebody likes me. And there's a fine line between like healthy and unhealthy and addictive behavior. But I think 
you can start learning that. So for me, overeating a lot, I think eating has always been uh, a large one. I forget that there's like a name, but like popping things like on your body, like pimples. But the thing is like, uh, I would, this is hopefully it's too personal, but I, I'll share it. So even in my twenties, like I would pick, I don't know, on skin on my arms, like what I would think is a blackhead, but I would have scars there for like weeks because that your skin below your face doesn't heal as fast. And it created even more shame in me because I wouldn't wear anything short sleep. Like it took me a long time to stop doing that because it's like, I would have this stress mechanism. It would make me feel better for a second. It would leave scarring for like weeks. And then I wouldn't feel comfortable to even wear a sleeveless shirt and living in Atlanta, it's even in New York, it gets pretty hot. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of things that you can do that are just not healthy. And I was just in huge debt as well from those habits. Like I would be tipping 30%. I was 50 grand in debt when I flew 10 of my friends to Mexico for my birthday, just outlandish things. But those are all ways of kind of coping and getting love and plugging up negative emotions. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And I know you are definitely not the only one doing all those things. The reckoning doesn't always come to everyone either. Like it came to you. Mm. you not only sort of hit a rock bottom, but then wanted to really do something about it, even though it was going to create a lot of work on your part. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I don't know that the dating guy was really what you would call rock bottom. Just to say there, there isn't, there's so much stuff and you're used to feeling bad. I think it was for me more of a frustration, like hitting your head on the wall that it wasn't just bottom. It's like, I've done this a million times obviously if I could change this pattern, I would have already done it because the men would come in different shapes, different colors, different sizes, but like the, the result and the pattern essentially would be the same. There would be narcissistic or unavailable or just had nothing to offer me. And at some point you just go, I don't have the tools. Like I don't know how to fix it. I have tried everything I know how to do and I can't stop it. So for me, it wasn't even PTSD. I didn't even know you know, that having nightmares or these emotions were considered PTSD. It was just this thing that I wanted. I wanted love. I want, I mean, I still do. And I had just no idea how to get there. And I knew I needed somebody to help me. So that that's kind of what triggered it. Well, and also to reach out and want that help and acknowledge that the desire has to be greater than your fear. Because a lot of people yes. be very fearful of going to seek out a therapist like they would not want to divulge all these things, you know, to someone in a therapist's office. So yes, I guess you overcame ultimately your greater fear by your desire to live a better life. Yes. And I will say, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I do a lot of thinking, I realize, (laughs) but it's not like a one-time thing. Also, there's different fears and there's also a lot of things like I'm, I'm the things that I'm saying to you now, a lot of them I may have not even known at 33 or 35. Like there are certain things that come to you. Um, there's levels of fear basically. And there's levels that you'll even admit things to yourself. Like I carried a lot of shame. This isn't something I even realized till this year. And when I realized I carried a lot of shame, realizing that made me feel more shame because I was like, oh my God, I don't want to feel the shame. Like what kind of person even has shame? So it's like the spiral of negativity and you go, oh crap, there's more stuff in there. But also 
there's this idea that you have to reveal absolutely everything to your therapist. And that's not necessarily the case, especially with doing trauma work. It's not so much that I sit there and for hours talk about, well, then this happened and then this happened because the goal isn't to really talk about all of those things. It's really to, because the past affects your present. You're kind of stuck in your past. That's the thing about trauma is that a lot of times you don't process it and it feels raw and it impacts you at work. You may not even know it, but like you get triggered into states and especially with doing EMDR work now, like you're targeting certain uh, memories and certain points. And some of the things you don't necessarily even have to reveal to your therapist. So there are certain things you can keep to yourself and still do the work because it's not, it's not a tell all let's, you know, share your deepest, darkest secrets. I mean, obviously you have to have a lot of vulnerability, but I think the fear comes with people thinking there's going to be a lot of judgment. And obviously you need to pick somebody you feel isn't sitting there and judging you somebody you feel you have a good rapport with. And that also is relationship building. You're not going to get that from the first session. And that takes time. So yeah, that's what I found. So at this point, you have found a therapist that you feel is a good fit or are you still in the process of looking for that person? Very good fit. And she's the first one. Now I've had two others, not to dismiss. I, I grew a lot. There's a lot that came there, but I feel like, she has a background in trauma. And one thing that I've learned and one speaking to other therapists, going to trauma conference, connecting with different people is that's not really a topic that's widely taught in the coursework for getting a, what is it? Psychology degree and getting your master's. Like not all the schools require it. A lot of them don't go into different trauma responses. So like, for instance, when I came to my therapist at 33, she focused on relationships that was her focus is, is relationships. You know, she saw me as having a bad picker, not knowing how to pick people well. We didn't approach it from an angle of, hey, this is just one response. All of these are connected. We have to look at the problem. Like, this is just a symptom because you can plug one thing up and then another thing will leak. For instance, you can, you can cure yourself of overeating, but then if you don't work on some of the underlying stuff, you may start overspending. There's different unhealthy ways of coping. And the thing is to look at the root and work on that. So the thing that I really found is with a current therapist, she has different tools. One that's important, you know, whether it's EMDR, I've learned about polyvagal theory, there's IFS, which is integrated family systems where I know we're going to run out of time to go into all that, but they're basically, you want somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you can feel has your best interests in heart and has a good set of tools to help you deal because just one tool may not work for you. Everybody's different. Yeah. I would think every person is unique. It's going to take a different amount of time depending you know, how vulnerable they can be or Mm -hmm. how well the therapist is working with them or the different tools that are effective. So which tools have you found to be uh, the most benefit to you at this point? You just have to do the work and, and believe things will fall into place one piece at a time. And a lot has for me, especially in the last few years. So polyvagal theory and learning about, in essence, it states that your nervous system has three states, which is your ventral dorsal, which is like your happy, let's say you're in your flow, like good place. You're laughing with your friends. Just, you feel energetically good. That's when you feel your best. That's that, that's a state I think most people associate with happiness and peace and 
that's the ideal one. And then you have two survival states, which is your sympathetic fight or flight. Most people are familiar with that. And then you have a dorsal ventral, which is essentially when you're collapsed and shut down. And that could feel like extremely low energy. As you can tell, I'm a very energetic person probably. (laughs) And for, so even if you're an energetic person, maybe you feel just completely helpless or really just worn down, unable, you're dissociating, maybe mindlessly scrolling or just watching TV for hours, just not really able to be in the present moment to a high degree. And obviously sympathetic fight or flight, it's just this like intense, I can characterize for me, like maybe not ever feeling like you're doing enough, this, this intense feeling of anxiety, always needing to do more, to be loved. I mean, there's different things, but just understanding those states, how to identify what I'm feeling in the moment. That's a huge one. For instance, I put sticky notes all over my apartment just a few months ago that kind of reminded me like how it just asked the question, how do I feel? And am I breathing? And that sounds so simple and almost trivial. But one thing I realized for myself, I hold my breath a lot, like a lot. It's like, I'm holding, holding my breath and I go, you know, and it's not gasping, but yeah, it's just what you do. I think when you're in that state of like fight or flight, which I live in, in that state a lot, you're always uh, intense. You're always kind of ready and hypervigilant. So I think just people identifying those states and I'm happy to reference, I actually wrote an article, like a blog post about how to identify those different states, what to look for, and then how to transition from the fight or flight or dorsal, like when you're feeling those survival modes, how to go upwards, how to get to a better place. So for me, just being consciously aware of that, how I'm feeling and how I can get out of it has been extremely helpful. What's an example of how you would get out of that state? So fight or flight, for instance. So it could be, there's activities you can do alone and then there's activity you can do with others. And with others, it's important because our nervous systems, like for instance, when you're around somebody with super negative energy or just like a really downer, you usually start to feel it because our nervous systems respond to other nervous systems, whether it's humans, animals, whatever. Like, just like if you have a really fun waiter, they're usually going to lift your mood because again, you're connecting on that level. So identifying a few friends that you, like I have a friend that almost 99.9% of the time, if I talk to her or if I'm able to see her, I know it's going to make me feel better. So I just know, just even talking about anything, it doesn't have to be my problem. Just laughing with her, it's it's going to elevate my mood and I'm going to get to a happier place. Other things for me are um, biking, walking my dog, doing anything physical really helps because it just puts a lot of that anxious energy out of you. So I think physical things can help. I discovered aerial healing yoga, which has been huge for me. You basically hang upside down an aerial silk and you just do some really relaxing, soothing poses. And something about inversion and hanging upside down makes me feel extremely peaceful just for just like seven hours afterwards, just very Zen, having blood rush into my head, obviously not available to everybody. If you have high or low blood pressure, that may be dangerous, but because I can't do that where I live, I actually, what's behind me uh, is an inversion table. So at home, I'll just pop in there. It's not quite the same, but just hang kind of upside down and let the blood flow to my head. And that relaxes me. So even doing that just for a few minutes, like being anxious, talking to you, or, you know, if I have a big presentation on a call or something, just hanging upside down for a little bit, just calms my nerves a bit. So I find that to be very helpful. That seems like a simple solution, simple enough. Um, Like even having an inversion table in your house. Yes. And I think the other thing I've realized, not everything works like 
we're own experiments, whether when it comes to food, when it comes to solutions is try it. And it, even like there's certain things that haven't worked for me. And I'm happy to share that too, that work for a lot of other people, but it's also being honest with yourself. Like, Hey, this just doesn't work or this works for whatever reason. You kind of have to trust that and you have to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't always have to understand exactly how something is helping you, but if it helps you, then it, that's, that's a good all thing. That matters. And, that's yeah. all that matters. And if it's healthy, obviously me hanging out yeah. now is not hurting anybody or hurting me. So that that's a high five. Yeah. How did you find the aerial, what did you call it? Aerial healing yoga. So you can, so you can do aerial yoga for exercise purposes. For me, it's not, it's more doing the soothing poses, hanging upside down for like 15 minutes. So it's doing the real, I don't, I don't do it for exercise or to sweat. So there's different things. If you're doing it for exercise, you're going to get a totally different feeling and you may not get that relaxed state. And that's something I discovered while living in San Diego. My friend introduced me to it actually. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is life-changing. This is everything. So if it wasn't something that people introduced me to, but also if somebody lives, I don't know, I'm picking on Ohio or Alabama, some places are obviously that may not be available to you. I mean, San Diego, that's like the Mecca of, I think, alternative health and yoga and things like that. So that may be easier to find. I think a lot of other people may not have access to that. So that's another reason why. Also, if you're super mobile or super healthy, maybe try and do a handstand. I haven't tried in a long time, not since (laughs) I was like 12. But um, (laughs) so that's why I have the inversion table. Well, you can get that on Amazon. Is it? Yeah, I think it was like $117, which may be a lot for some people. I think there's different ones. I definitely didn't get the high-end model, but it works perfectly for my needs. Yeah. So were there any other things you tried or techniques you're using to calm your system down or to delve deeper into issues so you can release them? Yes. So EMDR is something I don't think you can do yourself. It's something I'm doing with my therapist. And EMDR is essentially if I can describe it well, it's you're picking on a memory, one that is traumatic usually, and you could have many, but it's one that you can kind of go back to and visualize. And then things that may be associated with it. I'll give my own example. There, there was a traumatic kind of event in my past and then associated with it, it is thoughts of, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. Like the different associations. And then you kind of visualize that you go back to it and you visualize. And then while you're there now with my therapist, we're all virtual. So you can either be tracking with your eyes, like something that's moving across the screen, or there could be like clapping or like the sound. So it's basically, and they don't truly understand how that works, but there is a lot of studies showing that it's very effective with PTSD, which is why I'm using it. And something about the the having another stimulus while you go back there, the whole point of it is if it's a memory that's causing you like, let's say 10 out of 10 emotional disturbance, the goal is to be able to go back there to break down those ideas. You know, if, if your belief came from like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, you are lovable. Like if somebody abused you, that's not because you weren't lovable. You know, my mom has a mental illness. That's why it had nothing to do with me. And also to be able to go back there and then not have that, like to put that memory in the past because it's over. It's already happened. You survived it. And so the goal of that is to just decrease the intensity. And that's supposed to help you in your day-to-day life now. Like you're you're taking these old memories. Um, Again, I've only had one session so far. It's going to take a lot more. So I can't really speak to like how effective or not effective. I can say during that just one session, 
it's been helpful, but it's also extremely hard because you're going to a place mentally that you don't really want to go there. <laughs> it's yeah. really unpleasant. It's emotionally very disturbing that like you're probably going to be crying. Your therapist may be crying. Yeah. Um, so it's very raw and you have to allow yourself to go there just with the belief that it's going to help you. But it does take a lot. I mean, it's extraordinarily draining. So it's intense. The other things I can say that's a lot less uh, intense, and I know everybody speaks to it, but I will say meditation. And here's a key that also my therapist pointed out. So meditation alone for me is not the same as in a group. There's something about a group setting that like eight or nine times out of 10, I, when I truly relax, I start crying, not like bawling. Oh my God. But like, there's just tears. Even if I'm having a perfectly fine, happy day, there's something about, I don't know, maybe energy in the room. I can't really explain it. I can just speak to the experience of when I feel that safe kind of environment and I truly relax. And I think I realize I don't really relax fully almost ever. And then I think what's underneath that is just tears, which sounds really depressing. And I don't want it to, I don't know how you make that light and fluffy, but that's just the truth of it. There's just a lot there. And I feel like it's helpful, even though it's really not pleasant and in a way could be embarrassing. But if you go, you know. Well, I mean, tears are really just a release. (laughs) You know, it's always a good thing, I think, to release things like that. 100% agree. Uh, I can't speak for other people, but I know for me, being vulnerable meant being punished. Whenever I cried in front of my mom, that meant more punishment. Whenever I showed her that I any had any emotions, that usually backfired a lot. Your default is to not do that because it makes you feel unsafe. Yeah. You know, it make even though it's it's not again, it's not rational. It's not like I'm rationally doing this, but you also kind of fight it. And that's, that's the great thing of like being able to be more conscious of what you do is going, okay, it's going to be fine. Yes. Let yourself cry. It may take a lot of effort, but even just relaxing that feeling, doing that work, I find the cost benefit analysis is this worth it. There's so many benefits to being able to be more vulnerable and open it's just yeah. worth it. It's just worth it, the amount of hardship. And yes, maybe there are people that even will judge you who may not agree. For myself, you may want a lot of validation. You may not get it from people you want it. Most likely, you're not going to get it from people you wanted the most, whether it's family members, even people close to you. They, they may have not seen it. Like some of the people that I dated, most everybody, uh, even close friends, they didn't see what you went through. They don't necessarily understand. Again, it, Literally, my mom could have been hitting at me, yelling at me 10 minutes ago. And then you can meet a friend and you're laughing, you're being funny. And everybody thinks you think you're fine, but you're just not. And again, it's being able to go there and be more vulnerable just has so many benefits to how you feel internally. It's just that you don't even realize you can feel differently until you start letting yourself have that vulnerability and the amount of peace and kind of self-love and acceptance that starts to seep in is significant. And I feel like I still have a lot more to go, but it's just so worth it. (laughs) So when you said, when you meditate, it's different if you're meditating alone or in a group and it's better in a group. But let's say you had sexual trauma. Being alone, for instance, or relaxing, that can be, um, that actually can provoke trauma feelings because it may remind you being in that situation when you're vulnerable and alone and relaxing men meant, I don't know, somebody molesting you or something horrible or relaxing may getting beaten. And again, I can't speak to why in a group, I just, there's some, there's like a safety that's created for me, I guess, that sometimes alone, I'm not really able to reach it. I, 
I don't have an intelligent or scientific way of explaining it. It's just, that's just been my experience. And you know, if it was just one or two times, I'd call it a fluke, but it's been so many times in a group setting. I feel this like great release and this true cleansing, whereas alone, I think it's helpful, but it takes me a lot more effort. And it's not always easy to get to that very raw, vulnerable kind of relaxed state for whatever reason. Well, I think you explained a reason for it quite well when you said if it triggers something that reminds you of when you were alone and vulnerable that you don't want to go to that place mentally so I would think also the group energy if it's that really positive loving energy being shared and you're in a room with a group of people where you don't feel like you're going to be attacked or someone's going to come in and harm you yep Um, I could totally understand that. It's probably a great way of building up that confidence and sort of working that muscle of vulnerability and self-worth and all those different things, being in a group setting, meditating. Absolutely. And associating that relaxed state with something positive for a change. For sure. So there are three questions I like to ask people that have gone through a healing journey what was the biggest lesson you learned while you're healing? That's a really hard one. <laughs> Just so many. I think learning about boundaries is, is a good one. And I'll re- recommend the book Boundaries for it. It's actually called Boundaries. I'm not a religious person. It has a lot of religious connotations, but I'll say the science in there is pretty straightforward. So chances are, if you went through trauma, you probably have issues with boundaries. You may not even realize you can say no to things. And I think just starting there... And just reading about it can be extremely helpful. And then once you learn to build it, it'll transform your relationships, personal work relationships. It'll just get healthier and you'll learn how to really advocate for yourself. So I'll say building boundaries has been extremely helpful. That's a very good one, boundaries. And also, what was the biggest obstacle you faced while trying to heal? Um, I think vulnerability is the hard one is the hardest one. And it's one I'm, I'm still there, especially in relationships, just letting people get beyond a certain point. I, that that's by far the hardest thing. Yeah. And what was the kindest thing someone did for you as you're healing? Oh gosh, the the most recent thing I can think of, there's so many kind things. I mean, from just therapists or I have amazing friends. I know a lot of people have a hard time opening up to people. I've had friends that just been so emotionally supportive. So there's just so many kind things. And then just like recently, I love my therapist because EMDR is hard and I will cry. And you know, it didn't, she's a human. You'd see her tearing up and just, I want to thank humanity in general, anybody that's like kind on the other side, because that's extremely hard to witness somebody and then give them the space to feel safe and seen. That's incredibly kind. Well, I mean, you've given so many great examples of what people can do that have experienced a lot of trauma, like that there is hope for changing your life and for healing some of these wounds that people have. Um, So, I mean, you've given a lot of practical things they can do, like find the good therapist, not just rely on just anyone, but find a good one that knows how to deal with trauma, Mm -hmm. the group meditation or meditation on your own, as well as the inversion table and the aerial (laughs) yoga. 
-hmm. I think all of those sound like really good places to start. And the EMDR also, which you're starting. Yeah. Again, I think with a good therapist, you could find a lot of those tools. Other things, I mean, there's also NAMI, which is a mental health. If you just go to NAMI, N-A-M-I, I I don't know if it's .com or .org. If you Google it, you'll get there. But they have a lot of resources for that as well. A lot of information. And I know it's really hard because therapy is not cheap. (laughs) And a lot of it is not covered. But you may be able to find some resources and groups on NAMI that you can get support from in education and maybe even resources of how to find more affordable therapy options. Well, that's great. And I'll put that in the show notes, the different uh, things that you've mentioned. And also where can people find you? Did you mention you had a blog? I do. I just started it really. It's called traveltowardfire.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Julia Storchevsky. That's a hard name to spell, but I'm there. Um, Feel free to reach out. Or uh, you can email me at julia at traveltowardfire.com. That's fantastic. Well, you've been so open and so genuine and vulnerable. And it's really, I think, helpful for so many people out there that are struggling and maybe haven't even identified what they're struggling with yet. But maybe hearing you talk, they'll start to tie things together or their symptoms will start to make sense. And they'll start looking for resources and the help that they need. So I think it's been amazing to hear your story and you've been a help to, I'm sure, a great number of people. So thank thank you for having me. I love talking to you. I really love talking to you and you are such a vibrant person. And I'm sure that's going to even be more so as you go through all these different techniques, but I can see how people would maybe not see the pain you were in because of that outward appearance. So I'm glad that you're finally tuning into it yourself and helping yourself. Thank you. That's, well, thank you well, Thank so you for much. the kind words. I, again, thank you for reaching out. If anybody has anything, questions, again, obviously I'm not a therapist as a disclaimer, but the whole point that I wanted to be honest to share for anybody, you know, whether you're super high achiever or you're in a really low dark place and you feel like, you absolutely can climb out of it. It is possible. It's absolutely possible. Uh, It may take a lot of work, but I just, I know it can be extraordinarily hard. So I just, if I can even help one person realize that there's like hope out there, (laughs) it's worth it. Be sure and follow Open-Minded Healing so you'll get every new episode as soon as it's released each Tuesday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.